Jorge's KO was fucking crazy. Next week we see the Iron Lady. With the fight selections and the fight reflections. This is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. What is going on, everybody? I am still buzzing from UFC 239. What an incredible card. So let's just get right into it. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the average MMA fan hosted by an above average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice, and I am your uh, conductor on this uh, ride we're about to go on, if you will. Dude, normally I try to keep my recaps to just the main card. That's what I break down the most, that's what I get most excited about. Um, but this card, I have thoughts on just about every single fight from top to bottom. Uh, this prelims were stacked. <laughs> that wasn't even real English. This prelims were stacked, I said. That's fucking terrible. The prelim card was stacked right down to the early prelims on Fight Pass and ESPN+. Plus. The, the regular prelims on ESPN, the pay-per-view, which I actually bought because I wanted to support this and um, anyone getting points. Hopefully, um, Thiago Santos and uh, Holly Holmes still got their points. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Crazy. So, opening up the main card, or sorry, not the main card, the, the whole night in general, we had um, Julia Avila beating Pani Kianzad via unanimous decision. And let me just tell you, I've seen um, a few highlights of Julia, and I've seen her on uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter. She's very funny, and I was I was really looking forward to her debut. And she delivered. That was a great performance. She dominated the fight. I don't think anyone could say really that Penny had any case for a, for a win there at all. And let me just tell you, her post-fight speech, anyone that chooses to use their platform to raise awareness about cancer and talk about anyone fighting with, you know, fight, battling cancer, especially in their debut. I'm a fan for life. Yeah. You have me right off the bat. I mean, I am all in on, on Julia and the fact that she's a geologist as well. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, she was like downplaying like, Oh, there's some tough geos out there. But I was like, yeah, not many of them are fighting in a cage. Wow. Good stuff from her. And um, Edmund Shabazian looked really good as well. And I thought um, he came in with a lot of hype and, and that it was like, I don't know, somewhat undeserved. <sighs> now I'm I'm all in. I mean, Jack Marshman is as tough as they come. I have a lot of respect for his skills. Um, and uh, he just walked right through him like a hot knife through butter. And I mean, I had to... I had to go back and look because I, I saw that it was a submission. I was like, wait, submission? I had to watch the replay because I forgot. He came in with that ground and pound. He just, like, dropped them and and just, like, smashed them. It was, was raining down shots. I thought, you know, it could have been stopped early, uh, but Marshman recovered, and he was he was hanging in there. Then he gave up his back and just and had been Shabazian put that strangle on him. It was a beautiful thing. And he had a great post fight interview. I guess the uh, the last the last of the Glendale Fight Club is going strong there. Edmund was like chilling in the shadows, like 
Yes, yes. I mean, it's so interesting that the co-main event was two women who, the only two women who be Rhonda. Rhonda, of course, being Edmund's star pupil. And uh, Rhonda is also Edmund's manager. Some of you may not know that. Um, I don't know if she manages other fighters, but I know that she's trying to get into that and that he's the first prospect, if you will, that she manages. So you gotta you gotta feel like she's um, feeling good about that, and good for him. Uh, we have some questions on him later on, so I, I don't want to get into it too much. But uh, bright future for that young man, and um, and I'm a young man myself, so I, I hate when people my age say that young man, but I think he's younger than me, so I can definitely say that young man. Now Song Yadong, holy shit, this was awesome, and I knew he was talented, and he's incredible. Right, but Alejandro Perez is a more um, proven commodity, I would say, and he's uh, somewhat of a veteran. He's been around a while, especially in the UFC. He's he's proven time and time again in, in big fights. And Song Yadong just made quick work of him, dude. That KO, and it sucks too. If you watch the replay, he hit him with the shot that that put him out. So I'm, I'm not saying what, what what I'm about to say is not had a huge factor in, in the knockout because he put him out with that initial shot. But on the way down, because they were fighting so close in the pocket, Alejandro Perez's chin bounced off of a ricochet, if you will, off of uh, off of Song Yudong's head. So it was almost like he got a little bit of an an accidental headbutt in there too. Oh, so brutal! And man, Herb Dean could not have gotten there quick enough i mean he kind of like rushed in to take a look and then immediately saw that he was out and then stopped the fight but i was like come on herb how did you not see that from a mile away we all saw that she was he was out crazy craziness i'll tell you what else is crazy marlon chito vera getting that rear naked choke over noeline hernandez now i i'm a fan of 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 chito and I actually, because of the whole thing with Sean O'Malley, I did not think they were going to find a replacement for him so short notice to the point where I kind of pretty much gave up on it. And I actually didn't even know this fight was going to go down until I was listening to uh, the MMA Nerd podcast. Shout out to Ashley saying that Noeline was was fighting. And I was like, oh, shit, Chito, let's go. And I was like, Man, he's going he's gonna to give this guy hell. And Noeline, to his credit, did what you do on a short notice debut. He came in there and gave him everything he had. I mean, there was there was a time where I, I thought um, Marlon was going to get finished. It was looking pretty scary for him there. He was hanging on. He he threatened with some arm bars and stuff like that from the bottom. But uh, but Noeline came came with a heavy ground and pound, and I was like, oh my god. And let me just say, like I, it's it's funny that he's involved in this uh like a short notice fight he's on the other end of it you know someone getting a, a replacement because when i first took notice of marlon was when he had a short notice replacement um against you know he he stepped up on short notice against brad pickett and i was a huge brad pickett fan it was his retirement fight supposed to be anyway and uh i fucking cried my eyes out i i have no problem saying that i i I fucking was devastated when uh, Brad Pickett got knocked out because he's such a nice guy and it was in front of his hometown and his family was there. Oh, it was just so terrible. And he gets on the mic and he says, London, London, slow down. Give me some respect to Brad. Give me some respect to Brad. He's a legend of the sport. 
I was watching this guy when I was saving thing, having a fight with the best in the world. Mighty Mouse, pom for pom. I mean, dude, just so, just so like emotional. And you, you find out the story about his daughter. If you don't know about that, look that up. She had a, a breast condition where she couldn't, um, basically couldn't smile, like the, the muscles in her face. And she's since um, had that fixed. And I forget, he's only like 26. So this guy's got a bright future. And uh, if you didn't watch the fight, he basically, um, I think he hit him with a knee or something that dropped um, Noeline. He just he just came at him and and then got the rear naked choke. Because he, he had it in the first round, but what um, Noeline defended it well. Um, but he, he basically... He, he got it from the top, like rear naked choke. When when the opponent is like belly down, it was, it was like nasty to me because I'm always worried that you're not going to see the tap. And um, basically, Chito had it like palm to palm, like the gable grip style, um, sort of like similar to uh, like Anderson Silva against Dan Henderson. And then um, he immediately switched to the more traditional, grabbed his bicep and, and stuck the arm behind the head. And I was like, oh, it's up. That's a wrap. That's a fucking wrap. So awesome fight for him. And Arnold Allen, man, this is another one we're going to get into later. I saw some questions about him. Um, fantastic fight. There were a couple people that were saying that he wasn't ready for Gilbert, and I was like, what the fuck fights have you been watching? I mean, Gilbert, first of all, is amazing, and he's a legend, and he's had, you know, that that, that term gets thrown around kind of too often. It's pretty much just like if anyone's been around, you know, like pre-2008, they're like, oh, he's a legend. You know, but, um, but Gilbert's in a lot of things for the sport, you know, part of the scrap pack one of the OG members and, um, and the stuff he does on ESPN. So, so he's, I think contributed a lot to MMA to, to kind of deserve that title of legend. But, um, Arnold Allen has looked sensational, I think in his, in his last few fights in the UFC and Gilbert is kind of like, he had a long layoff. He's new to the weight class. You know, he just had that fight against Jeremy Stevens where, um, it looked like a fucking small person was growing out of his leg sort of similar to uh, Roy McDonald and uh, Douglas Lima. Come on. Uh, like, there, there was no... There was nothing that told me that Gilbert was going to be competitive in this fight, based on what I've seen recently from him and, and from, from Arnold. But that's not a... I shouldn't say that that's not a knock on Gilbert. It's more a credit to Arnold, just because Arnold um, trains at TriStar, is very well-rounded and massive for the weight class like he's a guy in a couple years when the weight cuts are tough he's going to be moving up to 155 so awesome for him i hope he gets a a high-ranked opponent next because he deserves to climb the ranks and uh he's not getting any fucking younger i mean he's still very young but at the same time like i said he's big those weight cuts are only going to get harder like weight cuts do not get easier as you get older but moving into the main card man michael chiesa versus diego sanchez amazing fight and this is one of those fights where i was pretty sure uh, michael chiesa was going to do his thing like he did you know he's younger he's big he just like moved up like uh, i don't know how he ever made 155 and and even in the post-fight interview (laughs) joe rogan said that he said how did you ever make 155 he goes stupidly and and come on like (laughs) they show those highlights of him on uh, the ultimate fighter I mean, he looked like an actual caveman with the, like, gauntness and the fucking hairy just everywhere. Crazy. But him now, a little more clean cut, badass tattoos, doesn't look depleted. 
Michael Kias is awesome. And do that to Diego Sanchez. I mean, at this point in his career, his grappling is is really what gets it done. I mean, he's he was always like, you know, he started coming to the Ultimate Fighter as like a guy with good wrestling that was a, I think at that time he was already a BJJ black belt. But now, um, but then he became like a, a just a brawler. You know, he's going there like War Sanchez and all that stuff. Lionheart, Corazon de Leon. Um, but right now that he's he's taking all those knockouts, he's learned to kind of dial that back and focus on his grappling. So I thought that was going to give him a tough fight. And that interview he gave with Ariel Hawani, if you guys did not see that, go back and watch it. He is absolutely, positively nuts. He pulls out that little box. He says, Diego Sanchez will not be put into a box. I mean, what? <laughs> what? So I felt like when I saw that, I was actually rooting for him, dude. I was like, dude, if he wins, how awesome is that? But sadly, he got defeated. And I shouldn't say too sadly because I was I was rooting for Michael as well. He's an awesome guy. But that was just uh but that was just uh just just a masterclass. I mean, he just looked like he was almost toying with him. He just manhandled him just controlled him on the ground completely and he let some nice shots on the feet but for the most part it was the it was the grappling and i think like like exciting grappling heavy fights can happen and and that's what you saw there if like if someone says like oh wrestlers are just like laying prey i'm going to show him this fight like look look what look what this wrestler is doing to diego sanchez i mean he's just like rolling him into a ball and just kind of bouncing him around all right you know what's coming if you look at the lineup, you know what fight happened after Michael Chiesa. Let me tell you about a man named Jan Blachowicz. From a small village in Poland. From a young boy, Jan had a dream. And that dream was to knock out Luke Rockhold. Oh, that was so beautiful. And and that, and that I, I, I was planning to like... Just going on Luke, but honestly, I feel bad for him. I really do. Uh, he got his jaw broken, and I think that's not the first time in, in, in a fight. I don't want to be the one to tell anyone to retire, especially coming from me. It means literally nothing, but Luke, you, you got to hang him up. I mean, you've got nothing to prove at this point. And and people give me shit all the time for my Luke Rockhold hate. It is, in some part, um, I'm being hyperbolic. You know, he's probably my least favorite fighter, you know, unless you can Greg Hardy because everyone fucking hates Greg Hardy. He's a piece of shit. But as far as, like, notable fighters that people actually root for, I'm like, dude, Luke Rockhold, go away. Uh, and part of that just my, you know, fandom for Bisping. And and the lead to their fight, I think, was you know absolute garbage. But I don't want to see a guy get like brutalized like that by Yoel, and then come back a year later and and just uh, he he looked and, and and people were saying that he was like a shell of himself. I disagree. Initially, like he was landing some good kicks, and I think he maybe even wobbled Jan a little bit initially, and it looked like he was going to keep it a range and and do his thing. And I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a Rockhold, you know, coming out party. Maybe they're gonna give him the John Jones fight after all." 
and then he starts to grapple him against the fence and it he couldn't get him down and i was like oh oh luke oh because people people look at his like kicks and stuff and and think he's like this dynamic striker i actually think his jujitsu is his best aspect i mean I talk about Michael Chiesa making Diego Sanchez look like a little boy. If you watch the video, I don't know if it was embedded or something came out during this week of of a Luke rolling with uh, Michael Chiesa. I mean, that was like the reverse. I mean, he he was just had his way with him. He got Michael in a re- inverted triangle, which is just super high level. And I was like, man, if he does it to Jan, it'll be a short night. But Jan is big, and would not go down. And when Luke couldn't get him down, I was like, "Oh, this is not this is not looking so so good for him." So props to Jan for that, uh, uh, shall we say, left hook, Larry. But but man, I I, I don't want to see that ever again. Um, I'm I'm gonna be annoying online for the next few days. All you people that told me Luke Rockle was a great fighter, I'm gonna show you this fucking clip, and you should know that. But also, rest in peace, Luke. <laughs> I mean, rest in peace. I meant retire and like just, just, just go back to Polo. Um, I'll even fucking uh, buy a Luke Rockhold shirt if if it'll help support you. Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, Cuban Jesus, Jorge Masvidal brutally KOing Ben Askren. Setting the new record for the fastest knockout in UFC history, still on Dwayne Ludwig. Oh my God! And 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 the commentators were right. This should have been a two-second knockout. He was out. Like sometimes with knockouts, like I really think they should take a look at the footage, like when they're really assessing it, and in terms of like putting on the guy's record and like setting records, they should really look at the fact that he was stiff. I mean, Ben Askren. His head cocked to the side immediately. He collapsed, and his, like, I don't know if it was, like, left leg. I think it was his left leg was, like, elevated even when he turned. It was, like, rigor mortis. I was like, oh, man, he's out. And Jorge landed those extra strikes. Now, he's going to get some flack for that. He already did from uh, fucking John Morgan, who is just maybe the worst. I'm not the worst. I mean, Kevin, I was probably the worst. But, dude, every fucking post-fight press conference I have to hear. So talk us through the fight. Give us your thoughts on that. I mean, shut up, John Morgan. But he was saying how he landed some extra shots. And I was like, I got to agree with Jorge in his response saying the ref hadn't pulled me off yet. But on, on the other hand, I do like when like when Mark Hunt, uh, you know, gives like a, a walk-off KO. Like, y- you knew what you did. The man was just out. Um just hard to watch. <laughs> and it sucks because everyone that said Ben Askren was like the cream of the crop and he was going to come in and just like wrestle people to death. It's looking like that's not going to happen. And so a lot of people that said that are, are receiving like criticism. I think he's just run into some bad matchups. Like Ben can do his thing against a lot of that division. Um, but, you know, he had that kind of fluke slam against Robbie and then this it looked like jorge knew exactly what ben was going to do shoot immediately and he just sort of set his angle and sprinted and i mean 
someone I can't remember who in the in the post press conference was saying it may, may have been Jorge, may have been Dana was saying that's when when a guy sprints at you like that, that's the only thing he's gonna do. So it really was like kind of confusing that Ben would continue with his shot like that. It didn't look like he was even blocking it, but I, I don't. I certainly don't want to kick him out when he's down. I'm not. I'm not here to to uh, dump on Ben Askren. Uh, just just sad because I maybe I'm in the minority. I'm not sure. I don't mind his personality. Uh, his uh, jokes are kind of corny, but some of the ones that are not, they land, and uh, I uh, I don't fault him for it at all. So I love I love Ben, but oh man, Jorge's the truth. That was insane. Speaking of the truth, Amanda Nunes. Man, and I like Holly Holm, so I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to talk too much about, you know, Holly's performance or whatever, because she actually looked really good. It looked like she was having success early. She was finding her range, keeping her at bay. She was landing those kicks. But Amanda, true uh, true veteran that she is, she stayed composed. She smiled, shook it off, and she, she landed that, I think it was a head kick that put Holly down. And some people were saying it was like a early stoppage. Some people were saying it was a late stoppage because like Holly looked like she was out, but she kind of just sat down. It was actually very similar to Holly Holm knocking out Betch Cohea, um, where she kind of sat down and then the finishing blows came. But you got to feel for Holly because uh, she's had, I don't know, so many title fights now. And uh, really, what? Uh, where do you go from here? She she already was on top of the world when she beat Ronda Rousey, and then people say she was like the Buster Douglas of MMA because of that. And now it seems there's not a lot of other fights for her in that division. Um, you know, it's not like she can move up to featherweight because <laughs> Amanda Nunes is the champion there too now. So what are you gonna do? And again, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to rain on Holly because. I'd rather just talk about how great Amanda is. And really, after the uh, after the cyborg fight, I was confused why she wanted to immediately drop back down. I was like, didn't you maybe feel good at that weight and not have to cut weight and and you know you had a great knockout? Maybe you find another fight at featherweight. But I guess they wanted to keep it moving. And so I really think and I really hope that she can become one of those double champs that can actually defend it, especially with um, women's featherweight being so shallow and. I highly doubt that if Cyborg wins, they're actually going to do the rematch. And here's why. She already said publicly that she wants the rematch. And Dana said she doesn't want the rematch. In the in the last um, press conference, when Dana said she didn't, and a reporter said, no, she's actually watching now and said that she wants it and she's told you. And he goes, oh, well, he doubled down on that in this last press conference. She said, I don't fault Cyborg for not wanting this rematch. It's okay. She doesn't have to want the rematch. And what, what Dana is referring to, Dana says this all the time. He says there's more than one way to turn down a fight. You can say no because you want more money. You can say no because you want it in a different uh, location or in a different time frame or what have you. And so... The UFC doesn't play by your rules. They play by their own. And if you turn down a fight, 
in uh, the certain aspect of it, if you turn down the circumstances, he'll, he'll say you're turning down the fight. So he's saying Cyborg doesn't want the rematch. And what he's alluding to is that Cyborg does not want to re-sign her contract with the UFC. And they will not put someone into a title fight who is on their last fight of their contract because it's like a champion's clause and they don't want to invest in someone who's going to just relinquish the belt. Uh, you know, they'd rather have someone who is committed to his fights that they can hold under contract. So Cyborg is going to fight out her contract against Felicia Spencer. And I really don't think, and I, I favor her against Spencer. I think she will win that fight, but Felicia Spencer is good enough that she could make it interesting. And I'm not counting her out at all. But what I'm saying is, you know, even if she wins that fight, I doubt that they're going to put her into the rematch with Amanda. It's just not going to happen because she doesn't want to sign with the UFC anymore. And that's fine. So Amanda Nunes is going to just go down as the the greatest fighter in women's history, and we'll never get to see that that uh, rematch, which is which is awesome for her. I mean, Cyborg never really had the opportunity to to be considered pound for pound when you talk about because because pound for pound, I think you really have to kind of jump weight classes to show truly that pound for pound your skill matches up, kind of thing. So they she really couldn't make lower than 140 i mean she almost died getting to 140 and they don't really have a 155 division except in the pfl and i've said this before in past episodes i kind of predict that she would go after that potentially because i think she likes new challenges and that million dollar uh tournaments enticing if they can um come up with the come up with the money to get her initially because you, you get paid for those fights leading up to the million, million dollars. But I think she's worth more than they're willing to shell out probably. So that'll be kind of, you know, that's another thing. But holy smokes, Amanda. I I, I think she's just going to wreck the rest of that division. 135 and 145. I mean, who really has anything for her? Valentina is the one who gave her the closest fight and She's now the 125-pound champion doing the same thing to that weight class. So what are you going to do? And now we come to the main event. John Jones versus Thiago Santos. And he won via split decision. And a lot of you are saying you had Santos winning. You're saying, oh, the, the judge that put those scorecards, they agree with me. I swear these same rounds. And that's fine. It wasn't egregious either way, I think. Uh, I think it was three to two for whoever won. I personally had Jones, and I don't like Jones at all, so it's not any bias there. But I, I do think that the people that, who had Santos are because they're either a huge Santos fan or someone as dominant as uh, John Jones. Whenever someone shows a little bit of success against him, it gets magnified. So I think those glancing shots... Um, or the shots that even though even the ones that landed flush, you made a big deal out of it in your mind, and you're thinking that that Santos had clear dominance in those rounds, and I just didn't really see it. I did see John being tentative. I think in the first two rounds, I I I honestly was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And it it, it reminded me a lot of the OSP fight, and this is uh. The OSP fight was when he was coming off a of suspension for, well, it wasn't suspended for PEDs, but he kind of had to come back in the USADA era. So I'm not one of those guys that likes to 
really focus on like, oh, pre-USADA, this person and post-USADA, this person is two different fighters. What's going on here? USADA is undefeated kind of thing. Uh, but clearly, Jones found a loophole here. And it's really interesting that um, that this performance reminded me of that um, OSP one because they he both seem clean, <laughs> you know, weirdly. And again, John, a lot of the, a lot of people were predicting that John was going to win with like with like a second round or third round submission. He was going to choke him out. I thought as much too, just because John doesn't really take risks and he knows that he can dominate that part of the fight. But he didn't shoot for any takedowns at all. And especially with Santos messing up his knee. And this is what this is what annoys me with people online. Sean O'Malley versus uh, Andre Sukumtat. Sean O'Malley gets his uh, ankle, and then um, Andre Sukumtat takes him down. And they're like, why'd you take him down? You got a man on one leg. You got to finish him. And fucking with this one, people are saying, why didn't Jones take him down? The guy whose knee blew out. He couldn't defend that takedown. He should have taken him down. I'm like, what? You can't have your kick. You need it too. Like, I thought he would take him down early, but once he had, once Santos showed he had a knee issue that he kind of blew out his ACL or whatever that was, I expected him to keep it on the feet. That said, I expected him to finish him because of that, and he did not. And I don't know if that's, we should be patting Thiago Santos on the back for being as tough and elusive as he was in that fight, or if that's John's tentativeness. And it, to me, honestly, it looked like a guy fighting to not lose rather than a guy fighting to win, which has been the story of John's career over the last couple of years. Um, I think he's really obsessed with that undefeated record, which is fine. I mean, it's obviously not undefeated. He's got the Matt Hamill loss, which they're trying to overturn, but whatever. Um, craziness all around. This was such an incredible card, and I'm, I'm going to be thinking about it for days. J- just Just amazing. But without further ado, let's take a quick break, then we'll get into some current events. All right, first thing I want to talk about is John Lineker getting cut from the UFC. And originally when this came out, I had a lot of mixed emotions, but now that I've had some time to digest, I kind of get it. And here's why. So John Lineker is one of those guys that has a very exciting fight style, and it, it, he just seems like one of those one of those fighters that we kind of unanimously love never in a boring fight um just action he's like a little mini vanderlei silva love the guy i mean that and just the energy that he brings like that clip of him saying like dominic cruz i coming for you baby i love it i love everything about him and so when he got released i was like whoa especially because you know is right after he uh, pulled out from the Rob Font fight for the cut. And and initially I was like, you pull a guy for, for getting cut? But then you kind of read a little more into it and you find out that he was actually cleared by the doctors and the UFC, the commission, um, to go into the fight with the cuts. Like if they healed properly or whatever, they, they cleared him. So I don't know if... You know, getting that cut affected his weight cut, like affect it, like if if it affected his ability to, like the you know, kind of lost time, if you will, for the weight cut. And 
I've actually been reading a lot of takes on this, you know, online and, and other media platforms. And I listened to two podcasts that I um, that I get a lot of my MMA news from and um, opinions that I enjoy. So Ariel Hawani does a um, Wednesday uh, podcast called the MMA reporters where he brings in other media members and they talk about news and it's very different from his other show. Um, and, and obviously Chael Sonnen's you're welcome. And they both had very good points on this. And, and Ariel said, you know, everyone's expecting me to disparage the UFC for this. And he, he said, I kind of get it. And he talked about, you know, Lineker pulling out of fights in the past and him publicly asking for his release like about a month ago and Chael brought up a very good point. He he told a story of John Lineker coming into the UFC initially as a flyweight, and now he was given like three back-to-back number one contender fights. He said basically, if you win this fight, you will go into a title shot. And he missed weight for all of them. And I said you can't miss weight in a number one contender fight because then you'll um, you you have to make weight for a t- for a title shot. It's like what? And so they forced him up to bantamweight, and I think he even has missed weight at bantamweight. So it's it's really kind of it makes a lot of sense if you break it down like that and when you think about the fact that he did ask for his release saying that he wasn't you know scheduled for fights enough but he kind of has pulled out from fights so uh, i don't know but again i i think i said this online before and i'll i'll say it now he's an action packed fight you know he's an action packed fighting style he's an action fighter and i think he'll find a good home in bellator or ryzen i hope they can make that horiguchi fight um i just you know i don't want to see him not fight at all i love the guy and i hope he gets paid in any of those organizations but i i do kind of get where the usc is coming from on this one so hopefully he kind of straightens his shit out now something else that kind of piqued my interest that i want to talk about is Malki Kawa. Malki Kawa, if you don't know, is um, pretty much the head agent and sort of founder, I guess, of First Round Management. You know, him and his brother Abe over there. He announced that he is not going to be giving any piece of news or information, any little tidbits at all, little factoids to reporters that he's going to be breaking news. Anything that's announced with his fighters, matchups, you know, deals, anything like that. It's all going to be announced for him, and I've, I've already seen a couple of tweets. I just want to say, Malky, go away. Go, go to the NFL. He re- recently like took a break to, or to, took a backseat on some of the MMA stuff and because he always wanted to be an agent for the NFL, and he finally got his license for that, and he's got some guys in there. I mean, this guy's such a fucking Greg Hardy shill. He really belongs in the in NFL. Like, go, just go. You have to have a relationship with the media and you have to understand that they're going to do their job and report on the facts and it might not always be good for your guy. So just go away, Malky. Not that he gives a shit what I think, but I just was like, what? Didn't make any sense to me. And this next little bit here, this isn't... um, too much uh, MMA news, but before we get into the kind of fight announcements, I wanted to just talk about this. Um, recently, um, Jay, aka No Turn Unstoned, um, had a birthday on Twitter and also announced that he's going to stop the follow trains. Um, that two thirty nine was going to be the last one, and I just want to say 
just a quick shout out to him and a nice uh, you know tribute. Those follow trains are amazing for connecting the fans, and it's a big part of what grew this podcast into what it is. I would not be where I am without without you and those with those follow trains. Sometimes you get some fucking weirdos. Sometimes you get some MAGA assholes. Uh, sometimes you get some people that are just retweeting fucking dicks and uh, like gross things. But for the most part, it's quality engagement. It is, you know, connecting the fans. And it is a place for everyone to grow their following in the best way. And I hope that uh, whoever takes it on does a good job with it, you know, and really invests in it. And, and God bless him for, for kind of taking a break from it, or, or at, least for, at least for now, because that must be so time-consuming, and he deserves to just kind of enjoy the fights with the rest of us and not have to worry about that. Because he, he, he would make some bomb edits for the, uh, for the follow trains too, you know. So shout-out to you. You're fucking awesome. And we've really enjoyed these follow trains. You're the best. And now on to some fight news. Uh, so Pam Sorensen is going to fight Caitlin Young for the Invicta FC featherweight title August 9th. And I love this because anytime there's a featherweight title fight, it's it's just good for, for women's MMA, for that division. Uh, really, um, we talk about Cage Warriors sometimes being a feeder organization for the UFC, you know, with their champions. A lot of their champions um, from Cage Warriors move into the UFC. Um, Invicta at Featherweight is kind of the same story. And even to some extent in the, in the lower weight classes, I mean, Angela Hill got cut from the UFC after like one or two fights after her uh, um, Ultimate Fighter debut. I mean, really, she had like one pro fight before, you know, leaving that before going to that fighter house and um then she became the the champion in invicta and then they brought her back i mean so um invicta does a lot of great things and uh i'm excited for this fight pam Sorensen comes to fight you know her fights are always exciting and there was a poll a while ago cyborg did um for you know who who they want to see her fight this is before obviously the amanda fight i think it was even before the yana kunitskaya fight it was just like she was trying to get some fucking interest in her fights to see if anyone would step up. And uh, Pam Sorensen answered the call, and I think she won that poll. And it, it was it was unfortunate because not a lot of people knew who she was, and the UFC wasn't, like, clamoring to fight her. And then, of course, I think uh, Felicia beat her, and now she's in the UFC. But uh, I think Pam can uh, get back on track with a win here against Caitlin, and I'm really excited for that fight. And this is another one that's awesome that I can't wait for. Sometimes the violence gods smile down on us and they give us something like Mike Perry versus Vicente Luque, which is going to be, the, I believe, the co-main event for UFC Uruguay, if I'm mistaken. It's at least somewhere high up on the main card. But, oh my God, this is awesome. Mike Perry, never in a boring fight. I would say the only the only time I was like, not really enthralled about his performance was the Max Griffin fight, but that was the Max Griffin looking really good, and I, and I think that was right after um, the fucking war he had with Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, Mike Perry did. So so that was another story. But dude, other than that, he comes to bang, and he's gonna knock your fucking head off. And Vicente Luque gave us that amazing fight with uh, Brian Barberena. I mean, they oh, this is gonna be amazing. This is gonna be incredible. So I'm really looking forward to that that fight. That's of course headlined by Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche. Good shit, really good shit. I can't wait for it.
Another awesome uh, fight is uh, Michelle Watterson versus Joanna Yonjacek. I believe it's headlining UFC on ESPN Plus 19, October 12th. I've seen some people saying that's going to be in Sacramento or San Francisco. I'm not sure. Uh, but I've also seen reports that said they're still waiting for uh, a venue for that, that it's not been finalized. But um, either way, it's awesome. And I, I somewhat predicted this about a month ago. Um, you know, this was like right after I think um, they announced that uh, Wei Li Zhang or Zhang Wei Li, however you want to say it, um, had got the, the title shot against uh, Jessica Andrade. And we all thought it was going to be Michelle Watterson. I was like, fuck it. If it's not going to be her, then then give her Joanna. They both need to get on track. Joanna has a has a win over Tisha Torres since losing the belt to Rose, but then she she went up to 125 to try and get that belt against Valentina, and it did not go her way. So she needs a win to get her um, confidence back and just make a statement in the division to get back where she was as the violence queen, quote unquote. Um, but I think I like Michelle's chances in that fight. I really do. I think I think she can um, she can utilize her full arsenal against her. Keep her at bay with those nasty John Jones style oblique kicks to the knee, um, and then um, use her grappling to give Joanna some problems. But who knows? I'll, I'll reserve my thoughts for when the actual matchup comes. But I just wanted to say that's an awesome fucking fight, and another awesome fucking female fight. Joanne Calderwood versus Andrea Lee is uh, I think headed to the Abu Dhabi card September seventh. Oh my! And I, I think I may have said uh, last episode, or maybe the one prior. It was either after Andrea's fight or it was after um, Joanne's fight. I would like to see them fight. It may have been after Andrea's because, of course, she was already booked, you know, at that point. But the Abu Dhabi car is looking nice because not only that, we got the co-main being Paul Felder versus Edson Barbosa too. That last fight was incredible, and Paul Felder has grown exponentially. And um, since then, Edson has been a little bit of a roller coaster. He had some tough losses against Khabib and Kevin Lee, and then he bounced back over Dan Hooker and just made, like, mincemeat out of him. So he's looking really good. But also, there's still some questions, I think, out on him. I think Paul doesn't have the tools to exploit um Edson's weaknesses in terms of like his wrestling but he definitely has the toughness to make it a dogfight and I like Paul's chances in that a lot so I'm really looking forward to that and lastly another uh matchup that piqued my interest was Jack Hermanson versus Jared Cannonier to headline the UFC Copenhagen and this is interesting they were both trying to call out Kelvin Gastelum because why, why wouldn't you? He's the highest rank that's just coming off a loss, um, you know, and uh, he just fought for the interim title. But I believe, this is my speculation, this is my opinion, I think Ali Abdelaziz is protecting him from these killers. I mean, Jack Hermanson looked sensational against Jacare, and Jared Kennedy has looked nothing but um, incredible since dropping down to middleweight. And even look at a light heavyweight, I mean, he's he's a staple, and they should put on a hell of a show. I think I favor Jack in that fight, but you can't count Cannoneer out. I mean, that guy is a dog. And, uh, wow, UFC Copenhagen, September 28th. These are some great matchups. 
So that wraps up the uh, current events seg- segment. I want to thank everyone for um, watching the fights with me on Twitter before we get into these um, questions here. And heretofore, the next segment has been, um, you know, we, we called it listener questions. And I hope you'll allow me to, to be a little pretentious here. And I want to I want to change it. I want to call it the forum because it's really my goal with this podcast is to create a forum for fight fans to come and share your thoughts. Um, I love that you guys send in the voice questions. It is the most favorite part of my, my most favorite part of the episode it is really what I think separates it from the other podcasts. And I want people to be more active in that. So I want to just, um, I want to just brand that from here on out. Let's call it the forum. So let's get into that. All right. We got some awesome voice questions submitted from you guys, as well as some really good, really well thought out Twitter questions. I'm so excited. Like I said, this is my favorite portion. So let's just get right into it. myself podcast it's smoky j here from australia oh fuck dude that was an insane card like from start to finish from top to bottom that shit was intense jorge masvidal blew my fucking mind and my mind is still blown but my question's about john jones that fight with tiago santos and the fight with Ovin St. Prue were the only two fights where he's clearly not tested positive for any performance enhancers I just want to know what you make of that little factoid, man. Bye. Oh, man. Wouldn't be a Smokey J question without a bong rip right at the start. I love you, man. Never change. And, dude, you already know if you heard the intro. Not the intro, but the initial segment with the recap. We are on the same page here, my man. Uh, I think this is just the new John Jones. And he should realize... As much as his ego gets in the way, even a clean John Jones, even a tentative John Jones is still the best fighter in the world. <laughs> even the people that are, um, are saying that Santos won, I, I don't think you can really deny that. Because uh, I don't think Santos winning makes him the best fighter in the world. Um, it just makes him such that he could have a style that could give John problems. But I think John was giving himself problems mentally in that fight more than anything. That's my personal opinion. Again, I don't want to take away from the awesome things that Santos was able to do, but I really think it was a, a clean John Jones, just as uh, Smokey J pointed out. I think that's that's what uh, John Jones is now. I think this is this is what we get, and it's still again the arguably the best fighter on the planet. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, this next question is from a gentleman named uh, Anthony Hernandez. Love this guy. I believe it's uh, at um, underscore season salt on Twitter. Awesome guy. He has a great question. Hey, what's going on? It's Anthony Hernandez asking you, what do you feel is the most valuable skill in mixed martial arts today? Is it striking, maybe boxing, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestling, grappling of some sort? What are your thoughts on, on what is the most dominant uh, style of combat in mixed martial arts today? Thank you. This is such an awesome question, but it's also really hard to answer. So I have a, f- a few thoughts on it. I mean, as most of you know, um, MMA was really created from 
trying to see what was the best style. You know, UFC 1, Hoist Gracie, the tournament, style against style. Um, Jiu-Jitsu came out on top. But as it progressed and as, you know, people started getting better, you really, really kind of proved that you had to be good at everything or at least well-rounded enough to keep the fight, you know, in your positions to use your style more effectively. But lately, it's been sort of going back to specialists. You know, we have Ben Askren being, until last night, you know, being dominant in his wrestling. You know, Damon Maya being dominant in his jiu-jitsu. And you have guys like Wonder Boy um, really um, holding it down for the strikers, you know, pure strikers. And so if you're talking about one style, it's hard to answer because I, I wanted to say, you know, a striker with really good takedown defense can do problems. But then that's not just one aspect. That's both. That's two I'm, I'm talking about. And then I thought, well, you know, someone with elite, elite jujitsu is really good. But most jujitsu guys don't have good takedowns. You know, if, so if you can't get the fight into your um, area, you really don't have a chance of using those tools to the best of your ability. I mean, if you haven't watched it and, and you want to see what, you know, bad takedowns in jiu-jitsu look like or, you know, not having enough wrestling to use your jiu-jitsu, watch friggin' Holic Gracie versus, I believe the guy's name is Koto or something. It's a French-Japanese guy that fights in Bellator. It was a Bellator 170, I believe. I saw that fight live, and I, I was like, what am I watching? I mean, they're both so tentative because uh, on the one hand, you had Koto not wanting to get taken down and swept up. And on the other hand, you had Holic not wanting to get lit the fuck up on the feet. So it was just a weird match. But in the last 30 seconds, um, something happened where, um, you know, Holic went down and the guy went into his guard. Holic swept him like butter and got mount. And then the guy just held on for dear life. And if it, that had happened any point earlier in the fight he would have gotten submitted. So my point is, I think you have to have at least two things, but if I would have had to pick one, I would probably say wrestling. Just because most wrestlers can at least throw a punch and um, good ground and pound, I think is a lost art. So, or I mean, wrestlers, this is such a cliche because a lot of people say, but they can really dictate where the fight goes. But I think that's really what it is. It's a style that can dictate where the fight goes. If you have the kind of striking that, like, like say someone like Israel Adesanya, he says something that I, I really enjoy, which is wrestling starts before the takedown. It's on the entries. It's in the setups and the clinching. And so when you have a style like his that can use his footwork and angles to avoid wrestling, that's that's the kind of striking that we need so it's something like that it's i i think it's something that you where it where you can control where the fight goes because mma is so like crazy that it, it can happen everywhere so you can have a fighter that looks like a wrecking machine run into something that's a bad style matchup and they look amateur so that that's my answer i guess hopefully that that suffices um it's such a good question that I feel like my answer is not good enough. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> now, this next question, um, he'll say his name, but I just wanted to say the title real quick. He put, dab and rate, don't dab and record. 
<laughs> I have no idea what that means, dude. No idea. Yo, what's up, man? Serenity Noseblow here. Um, I've fucking recorded this thing like 10 times. I keep losing my train of thought and running out of time. So we're going to power through it. Edmund Shabazian, dude. Let's talk about him. He looked really good last night with Jack Marshman. The way he took the back and got the rear naked choke, I thought was pretty fucking impressive. Um, also, I thought it was interesting. His last fight was another John Jones card, 235. But anyway, where does Shabazian go from here, man? Is he ready for a top 15? Is he ready for a main card? Like a fight night? What's up with him, man? Love that guy. Awesome. And dude, when I first heard this question, and I was even thinking about it myself in the in the in the wake of the fight, the post post fight, you know, aftermath, and just in recording that first segment, I was thinking, yeah, where do you where do you go from here? And I've just thought of it. Duran win. Let's see who can impose their will. I I am into that fight. Duran win versus Edmund Shabazian. Book it. Book it. But who am I? Just a humble podcaster with a minuscule following. So the matchmakers don't even give a fuck about me. Whatever. Last voice question here we have from a gentleman by the name of Will Hayes. Um, he can be found on Twitter at uh, electric, res- ele- electric with an I because it's ill. Electric Resolve Systems. And you should also check this guy out on Spotify. He makes some pretty cool music. But uh, here's his question. Well, at least Luke Rockhold has his modeling career. And I mean, after last night, you got to figure he's probably a shoe in to get a job modeling for Sleep Number Bed, right? Oh, sick burn. Oh, man, so disrespectful. But yeah, uh, I've said it on here before, I don't want to be the one to, to start the conversation about whether or not a fighter should retire. I think uh, even G on uh, Twitter, G from State Farm, made a great point about someone saying, you know, well, I think I think she said uh, Luke, or the person said Luke, Holly, and Ben should all retire. And she said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Fighters have devastating losses all the time. They come back. Don't, don't just tell someone to hang it up just because they had a bad loss. Now, that is a very good point. And fighters can rebuild themselves after terrible losses all the time. However, in the case of Luke, I really do hope he hangs it up just because he has the modeling career that he can he can fall back on. And these last two knockouts were brutal. Like, CTE is real. Concussions are real. Broken jaws are real. And... The guy has had uh, multiple surgeries on his legs as well from from fights, from the or even from training camps, like from you know hitting, kicking too hard, his shins open up. Like uh, of those three, I do hope he hangs it up. And to an extent, uh, I could see Ben maybe doing it just because he had already retired before he got to the UFC because he thought it was never going to happen, and he kind of like wanted to know when to be done. And he's got has been very open about not sparring after he saw the movie Concussion, and um, a bad knockout like that could lead him to the retirement discussion. He's not getting any younger. He's in his mid thirties. He's got, I think, three kids. So 
So you, we could see Ben retiring as well, but um, he just suffered his first loss. So I'm not, I'm not going to be too bullish on that. But again, circumstances matter. It's just not not just a guy getting his first loss, being like, oh, you should retire. But it, it was a bad knockout, and he's getting old. So that's really what I have to say there. But awesome question, Will. Luke Rockhold should monitor the sleep number bit. <laughs> Hilarious. I love it. That wraps up the voice questions. I, um, I'm sad that we didn't get one from, uh, from Chris Genghis. So uh, I'm going to do one for him. What it look like fighting with myself? It's your boy Genghis. Repping Asbury. What do you think about them fights? Well, Chris, thank you for asking. And thank you for uh, shouting out Asbury. I, th- I thought those fights were amazing, and I'm looking forward to next week as well. Thank you for your question. All right. Shane Tara coming in hot. Had a lot of questions, so I'm going to answer them one by one. said, did Santos win? I've already said this in my, um, in my I don't know, recap, if you will, th- throughout this episode. I did not think he win, but... I, I did not think he won, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a robbery. I wouldn't say that. Um, you know, either way, if they had given it to him, I would have been, uh, quite frankly, a little shocked. But I did score for Jones. So it is what it is. His next question: Should Masvidal fight Colby for a number one spot? For well, okay. First of all, Colby's got a tough matchup in Robbie Lawler. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he wins that, which is risky in its own right. But even if he wins, no. I think I think Jorge stole Colby's title shot. Just put it out there. I think someone with a with a performance like that, they could definitely rush into a title fight. I mean, timing definitely matters. Um, Kamaru Usman is still uh, recovering from surgery. So it, it is on Colby's side that... Uh, that um, his, he's fighting later, so his timing will be closer to Kamaro, hopefully, and they maybe try and get him on the December card. But style points matter. You know, getting the fastest knockout in UFC history matters. Um, putting a first loss on a guy like Ben Askren's record matters. And I think if Colby does something spectacular against Robbie, then they have a conversation but I don't think they're going to make them fight for a number one contender spot. I, I, at least I hope not. I really think it's going to be one or the other. I personally hope it's Jorge, even though I was one of the guys that said Colby should never have been fighting this in the first place and they should make the Usman fight um, after that Masvidal fight. Uh, if you ask me you know, who's, who should get it, I think it's Jorge, personally. And to answer your next question, he said, best KO of the night. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jorge just because it was so fucking crazy. And I was like... I was I was ready to tweet something. I was just like, I don't know what it is. I think I was maybe even responding to somebody. That knockout happened, and my phone died. My phone died from that knockout. It was feeling the power. I mean, put Ben's lights out, put my phone's lights out. That shit was nuts. But there were a lot of great chaos. I mean, the Song Yadong thing was like... <laughs> Yadong is packing. Can we say that? Uh, awesome knockouts. It's hard to like call. So I, I think they got it right. I believe the um, the performance bonuses went to Jan, um, Song, <laughs> Jan Blahovitz, Song Yadong, Jorge Masvidal, 
and um, Edmund Shabazian, I believe. Which, of course, was a, a rear naked choke, but he brutalized him before that, let's be honest. Uh, another great question, he says, should Melendez retire or rematch Diago, Diago, Diego Sanchez at 165, then retire, and why would that rematch be totally amazing? So much to unpack here. So many thoughts. Should Melendez retire? Maybe. Um, he's not getting blown out of the water, and he's not getting knocked out, but it is clear that you know he's playing a young man's game, and as the cliche goes, um, <laughs> father time is undefeated. He hasn't looked like incredible. And he's also has a lot on his plate. He's training his wife, Carrie, uh, who fights over in Bellator. He's running his own gym and he's an uh, analyst for ESPN and does a lot of stuff with, um, Ariel Hawani and Chael. And he has that show with, um, Dominic Cruz. So he's really set himself up to have a great career as an analyst. And I just think he's just been doing it so long. He doesn't want to admit he still has that competitive fire. But I would hate to see him become a Diego Sanchez. I would hate to see him become uh, BJ Penn, who's just clawing and scratching, trying to get on every single card, even though it's clear that he should retire. Like, it sucks that we don't have an MMA Hall of Fame, that we just have the UFC Hall of Fame. Because if you took a look at um, Gilbert's UFC career, it's not Hall of Fame worthy. But his MMA career, it absolutely is. You know, there has to be like the the fighters only awards are somewhat um, all encompassing. They do have um, other um, promotions are included, even though the awards generally go to the UFC fighters. There needs to be something like that. There needs to be something like that. Something that someone like that that organizes an MMA Hall of Fame that we can have people like. Um, Sakuraba, of course, I, I believe he is inducted to the UFC Hall of Fame, but that was really just a um, uh, just on Dana's part because he really liked Sakuraba. Like he really didn't fight in the UFC. It's things like that that um, like Fedor, he deserves to be in the MMA Hall of Fame. All, all these guys that that fought, you know, back in the day in other organizations and never got their chance, and he's one of those guys. He was a Strikeforce champion. He just did incredible things. I think I believe he was the WEC champion at one point. But should they rematch? I don't know, dude. Diego Sanchez does not want to cut to 155, and and uh, Dana has been adamant about not opening up the uh, 165 pound division, even even for a catchweight for something. You know, he, recently he like tripled down on it in an interview with Aaron Bronstetter. He was talking about like doing a catchweight between Habib and GSP, even if it's not for a belt. You know, not try and open up the division, just make it at 165. He said, no, 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 no. There's absolutely no reason. I'm not doing that. End of story. Go away. Goodbye. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to make that. However, if they do make that rematch, it would be incredible. Well, I mean, what a great way for both of them to go out. But that said, I both don't want to see them take a lot of damage. So it's hard. It's hard. So really interesting question, but I don't know how to feel about it. I really don't. I'd like to maybe see him get one more fight so we can go on a win because that seems to be like fighters just want to retire on a win. Like, think about this. If he had won against Arnold Allen, would he have retired? Or would he say, oh, man, I still got it. Still can beat these young guys. Like, you never know. Jesus, Uriah Faber's coming back. Mixed a man just says, no. 
That's not a question. Just no. I think he's sad about the Luke Rockhold knockout. I think he loves Luke Rockhold. He's like, no. All right. Lil Uzi Horizontal says, how much joy did you find in the ending of the Luke Rockhold fight? So much. And then immediately followed by guilt. <laughs> and then I think of the broken jaw. And then... um Actually, I do. I did want to mention this at one point. There's a there's a gentleman on Twitter. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. Um, I think he might be even like in a bad um, mental state after this Rockhold fight. But his name is uh, Luis Gonzalez. Um, we had a little back and forth on Twitter. Um, he does not understand why I don't like Luke so much. He loves Luke. Thinks everyone should like Luke. Oh, we had a back and forth for a while, and um, he got really upset. He, he said he muted me, and. Uh, I just want to say after that, I really, I, I don't, I don't want to wish demise on on anyone like like that. Like I was wishing on Luke, um, he's he was a good fighter back in the day, and now it just seems that he's not hanging with the with the big with the big boys. And I'd like to see him retire. I really would. And his next question, Lil Uzi's, is says, "Do you see an end in the John Jones era soon?" Great, great question. And then one that I don't know how to answer. Because, yes, it's clear that some people are catching up to him. You know, I think Johnny Walker could give him a lot of problems. You know, we still need to see that fight. There's a lot of good contenders, and Jones seems to be wanting to make up for lost time and fight these guys. But maybe after this Chago fight, he kind of takes a back seat and says, you know, maybe reevaluates his game a little bit because... It was a very close fight for Santos. A lot of a lot of you guys scored it for him, which I disagree with. And that's fine. Um, and even some media members were scoring it for for Thiago Santos. So styles make fights. So just because someone you know he looks human against one guy doesn't mean he's not going to like completely dominate the next guy. But it is getting to a point where people are catching up. So good question. Uh, I do see an end of the Jones era soon. I just don't know when and I don't know who. Fingers crossed, right? Um, Fletcher Bell says, how mad are you that Santos got robbed? Sorry, bro. Didn't think it was a robbery and I'm not mad about it. But um, I've definitely been in, in your guys' shoes thinking that someone want to fight and being sort of in the minority and just being like, what? Absolutely. The other guy won. Like Holly versus GDR, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like some some decisions are just bad, you know. Which brings me back to my point I've made on this podcast before: we really got to shake things up with the judges, with the judging. They really got to figure out some system to make it better. Whether that's more judges, you know, so we get more opinions. Whether that's fucking less corrupt judges, uh, more knowledgeable judges. I don't know. Something has to be done because it's not working. Huh. <laughs> This isn't much of a question, but this is really fucking awesome. So I wanted to um, read this post from uh, uh, MMA Gods. I mean, it's literally name is MMA Gods and the handle is at Gods MMA, which is relevant to his question. It says, had a great time at 239 with my brother. Six finishes. We were blessed with beautiful violence. Other than O'Malley losing the fight, the only other international fight week catastrophe was the earthquake. And this is the actual question. It says, is international fight week still cursed or were the MMA Gods redeemed? I don't know, man. You tell me. You're the MMA gods. Uh, if you haven't 
seen this. Go go on my post where I was asking for questions. Um, he posted a picture with his brother and him and with uh, Brian Ortega. Just an awesome picture, man. Um, beautiful family. Um, glad to see Brian Ortega in good spirits. He's an awesome dude. And to answer your question, I I think it was yeah, like it, like fighters, you know, get pulled from cards often so the the shalom alley thing wasn't like too much of a you know international fight week curse for me so i think for the most part crisis averted like things could have gone way worse and we still had an incredible fight card that was stacked and it delivered like it was already stacked on paper but then those fights delivered so yeah i think that was a sensational and whoa this next question um our next series of questions from uh, Brad Figueroa at Blazing Glory 888. He says, I'm going to answer these one by one because it's a fucking lot. He says, where do you see or who do you see Michael Chiesa fighting next? This one I don't know. But maybe when Neil Magny comes back from his suspension, I don't know how long it is. Maybe he can come back and fight someone like him. That will be an exciting fight. Um, you could do him versus... Um, Tony Martin, or I mean, I'm sorry, Anthony Rocco Martin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kayla Harrison. I'm sorry. Um, I just stole Phil's bit. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, someone like that, or or like Randy Brown. Ooh, I would love to see that fight. I would love to see him versus Randy Brown. Just because Randy Brown looked really good against um, Brian Barberina. I, I hate these questions because recency bias always plays into it. It's always like who looked good around the same time. Like, let's kind of get those. But then again, they do like to go on people that are fighting on the same timeline, you know, in, in terms of who's ready to come back and, you know, injuries and whatnot, you know, play a factor. But but that's a fun fight. Uh, ooh, or maybe Mickey Gall if you want to um, just kind of build him up. But then you kind of kill Mickey also. Forget I said that. No. Randy Brown versus Michael Chiesa. Book it. Uh, next question. Where does Luke Rockhold go from here? I hope retirement. I'm not going to beat this to death. We, we talked about it enough. But I, I hope, you know, he. the only other fight I'm interested in, to be honest, is the Weidman rematch. Um, and I was interested in the Smith fight because um, I think Luke, um, you know, needed to pay for his words. Um, I wanted to see Smith get that fight back or, or get that fight at all. Um, but I also wanted to see Weidman get that win back and, you know, Weidman has kind of like suffered some bad losses recently as well. So it, the timing is right maybe for both of them. So, uh, I am somewhat interested in that, um, that, um, Weidman rematch. Other than that, I'm not really interested in Luke, Luke fighting because even when I didn't like him, I was interested to see him lose. I mean, let's be honest. Like that's what, that's what the fighting is about. You know, you, you root for people to lose sometimes as well as you root for people to win. So, you can't fault me for that too much, but now I, I, I don't I don't even want to see him lose. I I just don't. I it's too it's too brutal at this point. And he said, "Who is next for Askren?" Uh, this is an interesting question. They both just lost to Darren Till. Yeah, or or I'm sorry, Darren Till and, and him both just lost to Jorge Masvidal. Um, both you know brutally knocked out. And Ben and um, Darren Till had a huge beef online for for a while. They were going back and forth, and I, I wanted to see that fight, and it never got happened. And then Darren Till was actually complimentary of, of him on Twitter, saying, you know, shit happens, Ben, you'll be back, or something like that. And it got me th- kind of thinking, maybe they should book that, you know. Um, I think Ben could kind of do his thing against Darren, uh, but but Darren could also maybe stuff the takedowns and have a good performance. Like, it's not a bad fight for either of them. So 
Um, even though I did say I think I, I wanted Jorge Masvidal, or sorry, God, uh, uh, Darren Till to move up. You know, he's had trouble making the weight. He's a big welterweight, but I, I don't mind that fight. Um, ben Ashman versus Darren Till. His next question says, do you think Jorge Masvidal is the number one contender? Yes, I do. Uh, in terms of who I want to see fight for the belt, yes, I do. Although the winner of Colby and Robbie Lawler um, has the next strongest case. But I maintain that style points matter. And I think, you know, to really even make it a competitive argument, um, they have to they have to finish. Whether that's Robbie knocking out Colby or Colby knocking out Robbie, I think, I think whoever they need to finish. Or, or, or some submission, something like that. Not, not just a knockout, but, but a, a strong finish. And it says, where does Covington fit into this now? I already kind of answered that. We have to see how the fight with Robbie plays out. Um, it says, who does Amanda fight next? And this is another question I have no fucking answer for. Like, can someone answer me this? What the hell happened to Caitlin Vieira? Wasn't she on a streak? What were we talking about? Her maybe getting the next shot, and then she just sort of disappeared. They gave it to uh, Raquel Pennington, which was awful. Her her coach sent her back into the fucking fire when she when she was asking to to, to quit. I mean, what? Crazy. But yeah, what happened to Caitlin Vieira? What happened to her? Why can't we drag her out of bed for that fight? Or the winner of, uh, well, I was going to say the winner of Cyborg Spencer, but let's be honest, um, if Cyborg wins, she's not going to sign with the UFC, and I'm okay with that. However, if Spencer wins, I am very interested in that fight, Spencer versus Amanda. So yeah, I, I, I hope her next fight is at 45. Or, let me throw this Hail Mary out, maybe the winner of Sorensen Young. Maybe they sign one of those ladies and put, and put her against Amanda. That would be great. I'm in. Let's do it. All right, last from this gentleman. says, should John Jones and Thiago Santos go for a rematch? Ah, uh, no. Not immediately anyway. Like, maybe if no one else, um, no contenders emerge and they, um, um, you know, the narrative keeps going out from like a lot of media members and other fighters, but Dana doubled down. He said anyone that thinks Thiago Santos won should never judge a fight again. He said that. He said those words. So, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to like say that to back up my point. Like, I, I really don't give a shit what Dana White thinks, but I'm just saying, you know, he, his opinion matters in terms of, you know, matches, you know, matchmaking. And he said that anyone who thought Thiago Santos won should never judge a fight. So I doubt they're going to do a rematch. Like, definitely not immediately. And Santos would have to put together like another like three or four strong wins to get a, another crack. Really, maybe a if we're talking about rematches, maybe a Santos Smith rematch. Since now Santos um, or since now um, Smith doesn't isn't really going to get the Luke Rockhold fight. Probably, you know, maybe maybe Santos versus uh, Smith two at light heavyweight. That would be very interesting, and I'm 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 in for that. Now um, SCC at. S underscore C underscore Cassidy said too many underscores change it um, with the Ben Askren hype train being derailed. Do you think Joe Rogan will stop talking about how he thought Robbie was out and then came to because Ben loosened the grip? I mean, maybe because he's certainly not going to keep talking about um, a, a finish like that after Ben loses in any fashion, not just as devastatingly as it did, but 
anyone who thinks that that Robbie wasn't really out and had a problem with that stoppage, do yourself a favor. And and if you still feel this way after this, that's fine. And I don't vehemently disagree, but do yourself a favor and check out Herb Dean's um, uh, appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast. You can even just find this clip. Like if you probably searched like um, Herb Dean on Ben Askren stoppage, Robbie Lawler stoppage, something like that. Um, He talked about how, first off, the thumbs up, that's a whole like conspiracy in its own right, really. Like thumbs up don't really um, save you in terms of ref stoppage. Like Sam Alvey giving a thumbs up against fucking um, Jim Crute did not help him at all. And no one um, talked about that. But I saw the arm drop. I thought he was out. And I still. I still think that. I mean, it looked like a completely free fall velocity. Um, it bounced a little bit when it hit the canvas. It looked like he was out. It, if if nothing else for a split second. But what what what's the most um, I think important reason to check out this clip of of Herb Dean is he talks about the pressure when you're in that choke. It's it's putting pressure on your spine and on the neck. The C I don't know what it's called. The the C vertebrae in that like the C one through five or whatever on your neck. And it's it's like compression. It's, it could do long term damage on the nerves. Like like John, uh, John McCarthy retired from being a ref because he was um, in training in in teaching somebody a darse choke. He was showing them how to do it, and he was in on it and coaching them, letting the person put the darse choke on them. And th- he was in that for like ninety seconds, and he had long term nerve damage to where he had to have surgery uh, on that. So after that Herb Dean interview. I have no problem with that Lawler stoppage. I really don't. Um, but maybe we'll stop talking about Ben Askren being this dominant force to, to answer your question. Maybe. Um, Frank the Tank says, Luke Rockhold KO'd in his last three and Dana saying he should hang it up. I don't know if that's a question or something you just want to talk about. Like I said, this is really a, at least I'd want it to be. I, I want it to be a forum. So if that's what you want to just put out there in the universe, please. By all means, put anything out there. Luke Rockhold, uh, again, I've talked about it too much. Yeah, I did watch the post-fight press conference. Dana did say he should hang it up, and I agree. I think maybe they even give him an analyst role. If Dana, if Dana is talking about that, I think it's very possible they they try and get, put him on ESPN. You know, good-looking guy like that. They want they want to you know put faces like that. He does have a good mind for like jujitsu and for. Um, breaking down like this the grappling aspect of things so i could very much see that and he's you know close with dc so yeah enough talk about luke rockhold please um another question from um scc uh, mr cassidy he says do we think this will be the end of the no competition of this weight and when are we moving to heavyweight chat for john bones jones Hate to say it, but you're right because I was one of those people that I wanted to um, see uh, John go up to heavyweight. Now I never was saying that there was no competition, um, but it it wasn't. It, it's not like back in the day when it was like DC and Rumble and um, and Gus back in his day. You know, Gus just retired, and of course John dominated him in their rematch. But um, I do I do think it's the end of like saying he should move up to heavyweight because. He can clearly make the weight easy, and he's still got a long line of contenders. So I don't think we're going to have any heavyweight chat um, as far as John's concerned for a while. Although 
Ariel did say in the in little post-fight thing he had with uh, Paul Felder kind of talking about the, the fights, he said that if um, DC successfully defends his uh, uh, title against Stipe, we could potentially be talking about um, a Jones-DC rematch and they've uh you know tr- trilogy and they've both said that they wanted it at 205 which is interesting but i don't think dc can make that weight anymore i really don't i don't think it's healthy and if if they want to do that at heavyweight i'm in but if they do that at 205 um you can count me out <laughs> hectic one says would you rather eat a cuban knee from masvidal or a polish power hook from bachowitz Dude, this is becoming like a staple. Whenever there's like two strong performances, he'll say, would you rather get fucking KO'd by this guy or dominated by this guy? Uh, I would rather <laughs> I would rather a Polish power hook from Jan. Uh, I don't want any part of that flying knee, dude. Are you kidding me? No. No. Absolutely not. But really neither. Can I say that? Jesus. Those are both brutal. I normally don't read replies because whatever, it's uh, not relevant. But um, fuck you, MMA said, need to be famous like Ben. Dude, fame, sometimes things are not worth the price of admission. <laughs> no, just no. And then um, at Canine Bug Finder, California Bedbugs says, does Ben bounce back from such a devastating KO and see more success in the UFC or will he turn to another Ronda? Okay, I can't tell if this is trolling or if you spelled it wrong on accident, but he spelled Ronda Rousey. First of all, Ronda is with an H, and then Rousey spelled Royce. Um, Probably just a typo. Uh, um, Do I think he'll become a Ronda Rousey? No, because first of all, Ronda was, was fighting people that hadn't caught up to her skill level, and she was kind of put on this pedestal as being a dominant champion, and then when that was taken away from her and she got really knocked out, she just couldn't come to terms with that. And it was such a part of her identity. Ben has been competing wrestling his whole life. He's suffered losses on the big stage before, you know, the Olympics and all that. I don't think he'll become like that. He definitely won't go away like Ronda did. But I do think it's possible he doesn't come back. And if he does, maybe he doesn't look the same. But I'm not ready to make a statement, you know, either way on that. I think we really kind of just give him some time to recover. He maybe sits down with his coaches, with his family. Paul said he doesn't really spar too much at Rufus Sport. He just sort of like brings in guys and, and Duke goes to his training center. And then he doesn't like, he's not like a part of the team team. So I think if he wants to make a, a run at this and really make his shot in the UFC count, I think he has to go back to Rufus Sport and really put in the time with everyone. Darren Carson says, Arnold Allen, in my opinion, the current best UK prospect. Is he ready for a top five guy yet? Um, I don't know about top five, but definitely top 10, if not top 15. He's definitely ready for uh, someone ranked, for sure. And I kind of agree with you. He is one of, if not the best prospects in the UK. And I love his uh, his interviews. Can't get enough. I know... Um, I know... Um, Chris Miller, I don't know if you want me to say your name or not, but um, uh, he said he doesn't like when uh, Arnold Allen talks about his dad in the post-fight interviews. Um, it is weird as shit, <laughs> but I think it's so entertaining. He's like, oh, my dad's been taking steroids. 
Uh, for years, but I'm clean as a whistle. I love it. I can't get enough. Uh, but this was a great performance as well, and he's definitely ready for a ranked opponent. Yeah. Now, Tony B says, how do you feel with the notion that the challenger needs to win by KO rather than letting the judges in Vegas decide a championship match? Very good question. And and I'll kind of rephrase it in a different way because there's there's this saying that people say to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Like, you got to really finish him like not just KO but submission you know some sort of fashion to really um decide a championship match but no I mean sometimes a dominance is needed you know um I'll offer uh Kamaru Usman versus uh Tyron Woodley you know that wasn't a finish but that was a dominant performance however I don't like this notion and I also don't think it comes into play here I don't think that um, I don't think it was it was a situation where it was like Fugazi judging. I don't think it was like I think it was just a really close fight. Like it was genuinely close. I don't think it was a rubbery in either way. But um, that notion that you need to finish a title fight to to dethrone the champion, I think needs to go away because um, I think it should just be judged, you know, unbiasedly. You know who won, you know. Uh, who landed the most strikes each round, who had the most dominance, you know, position, aggression, all the factors that actually make up the, the judging criteria need to come into play, not just, you know, blowing the champ out of the water or whatever. And then uh, at All Dumb Posts, Josh, who posts stupid shit, says, Will Askren be awake by the time you release your podcast? Well, he tweeted. Uh, he said that sucked. But then Jorge said, fake news, Ben is still sleeping. Oh, that's so that's so sad. Um, I hope not. I hope he's uh, resting. I don't, <laughs> I know you're trying to say is he's still fucking knocked out. But I hope he's resting uh, by the time this comes out so that he's just chilling. Because a lot of you guys were fucking... And I, and I know Ben was, is kind of a troll and he was um, poking at Jorge. But a lot of you guys were fucking replying to that um, tweet of his saying, oh, fuck you, um, I love this knockout. And let's give the man some space. Replying to their tweet is just as bad as tagging them when you're talking about uh, negative uh, shit. So, like, just just give the man some space. He already feels bad. He already had to get knocked out and be separated from consciousness within a span of five seconds. So, yeah, terrible. And then Joe Quigley says, should any of the fighters retire? Luke, hello. Um, possibly Holly, just, be, just because... And again, back to G's point, you know, we should let them decide and, and fighters can come back. But just to my point about Holly, she's sort of done everything. And um, I don't know if there's any, like, she's one of those fighters that if it's not for a title, she'll have to headline. You know, she's going to consistently be in five-round fights. Like, she's a star. And so, like, what really is there? Like, Holly Holm versus Kat Zingano, does that, does that sell? Holly Holm versus Kathleen Vieira, does that sell? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, who's the, this is from at beans, beans, beans. I don't know how to pronounce your other name. Gibbet. This guy just posts about beans all the time. It's kind of funny. He says, who's the better UK prospect, Arnold Allen or Nathaniel Wood? And this is a good question, but I'll offer you, uh, something that could sway your opinion. If you, um, if you think Nathaniel Wood, Nathaniel Wood 
has had some really close fights where it looked like he was almost getting finished. And that's what that's what makes him so awesome is that he comes back and wins, sort of like Tony Ferguson or, um, you know, Paul Craig, someone who has, like, come from behind victories like that. But in terms of, like, talking about a prospect, you know, you want someone like Arnold Allen who's uh, uh, dominating guys, you know. Um, I think I think Arnold Allen could be a future champion. And Nathaniel Wood could be for Germany as well, but um, I like Arnold Allen better myself in terms of like who's the better prospect. So kind of a weird note to end those questions, but uh, these are some awesome ones. You guys brought the heat. So thank you for that. And we're going to get into the breakdown. Now, before I do, I want to sort of intro this a little bit because I was looking at the card and I said, you know, I can't properly do a breakdown of this. I don't think I could predict these well. I don't think I could do this justice. So I called in some help. And we're going to we're going to hear from the former WBO middleweight and super middleweight champion, Chris Eubank. He's a legend and he's so gracious with his time. He's so kind to come on my podcast. And so without further ado, I'll let him do his thing. All right. Thank you, Juice. By the way, what kind of grown man calls himself Juice? I don't understand it. Next weekend, the UFC is in Sacramento. First, we've got Marvin Vittori versus Cesar Ferreira. Marvin is an Italian known for his jiu-jitsu and aggressive striking. Now, it's not boxing, but he can box, and he can win this fight. Now, Cesar is nicknamed Mutante, which in Portuguese means mutant. Is he a mutant? No, he's just a man. Marvin cannot think of him as the mutant. He has to push forward. He has to get inside and box. If he does this, Marvin can win. And I admire him. Next up, we've got Carl Robeson versus Wellington Terman. Reminds me of Beef Wellington. I think I might have that after this podcast. Carl Robeson has looked sensational. I like this man. I like mixed martial arts. And I like Carl Robeson. Not as much as I like Beef Wellington, but he's not fighting Beef Wellington, he's fighting Wellington Terman. So Carl should take the win. Next, we've got Benil Dariush versus Drakkar Close. Now, Drakkar Close had a fight with David Tamer, where he dropped his hands and looked stupid whilst taking kicks to the body from David Taymor, and he shat the bed. If he does that against Benil Dariush, it's going to be a short night. Benil can wrap you up and choke you out, but Benil will not do this. He will try and pepper him with kicks from the outside, and Drakkar is going to knock him out. That said, I prefer Benil. 
interesting fight. Let's see what happens. Now, next fight, we've got Josh Emmett taking on Mirsad Bektik. Mirsad had an incredible fight with a man they call the Damage. I love this man. He's bloody. But Josh Emmett is the truth. Did you see him knock out Michael Johnson? I didn't because I only watched boxing. But I heard about it. And Josh Emmett should destroy me, Assad. Now the co-main event is a dear friend of mine, Uriah Faber, taking on Ricky Simone. Now Uriah is a bit brash, isn't he? He's coming back after two and a half years and he's cornering fights the weekend before his fight. Ricky is going to walk right through him. Rest in peace, Uriah. You've had a great career. Now, moving on to the most exciting fight of the night, Jermaine Durandamy versus Aspin Ladd. Now, this reminds me of a poem from Shakespeare. I've committed it to memory, and it goes as follows. Doubt thou that the stars are fire. Doubt that the earth doth move. Doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt that I love. And people are doubting Aspin Lad. So I say that as a tribute to you, Aspin. The Iron Lady, Jermaine Durandamy. Some say she's dangerous. Some say she will fight anyone. She fought a man on TV. But she wouldn't fight Cyborg, wouldn't she? She ran. She talked about her hand needing surgery after that fight. And her takedown defense is just knees. Do you think Aspen hasn't seen that before? Well, that's just my take anyway. It's not boxing. I only know about boxing. But I'd love mixed martial arts. They are warriors. So without further ado, I turn it back over to Juice. Thank you so much, Chris. Wow, some great insight there. Uh, Really kind of uh, just rambled for a bit, so that was weird, but got to love him. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on to the show, and thank you for your insight. And I got to say, I agree with Chris. These are some some good fights, Uh, particularly looking forward to the main and co-main. I think Jermaine versus Aspen is actually very close, but... uh, I think Aspen can uh, style on her with the wrestling. And uh, I guess that's all I have to say. By the way, just to touch on something Chris said, do you guys remember that Dracar Close versus David Tamer fight? He was looking annoyed with him and just let D- David Tamer dance around and, and kick the shit out of him, kick him in the legs, kick him in the body. And Dracar was just like rolling his eyes and like, looking at him with his hands down i was like dude fucking do something i remember seeing a tweet from dan hardy he said what do you think he's annoyed at is it the kicks to the body or or what i mean <laughs> dude Jakar close get your shit together i guess that's all i have to say for these fights uh <laughs> well you can follow me on twitter at fwm underscore pod same on instagram I don't have any real followers on Instagram because the MMA community is only on Twitter. And um, if you're just listening to the podcast, we're going to be doing more of these um, weird breakdowns from now on. 
um, I have more fun doing it this way than just trying to give my picks for what I think will happen. It's not really uh, what I'm about. So more importantly, keep sending in those fucking voice questions and uh, being active on Twitter. Uh, it's really important for growing this community of, of MMA and it's really important for growing this podcast. Um, so if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review, huh? Leave me a five-star review, huh? Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. All right. I won't bug you about that too much. Um, thank you so much for the support. It means the world more than you know. And until then, good night and good fights. <laughs>